Well, today we are actually reaching the end of a fairly long series that we've been going through, Transformational Discipleship. We began this way back uh, in the summertime, and we kind of did it in two parts. Uh, during the summer, we, we looked at the process of discipleship, and we kind of just compared our, our spiritual growth and maturity uh, to the same process of just growing up, uh, physically speaking. And, and so just to give you a quick recap of those things that we talked at or talked about, uh, we, we, we kind of start off in, in that line just being uh, with, with no life at all, just like, uh, like physically. We, we start off dead in our sin. We're separated from God. We have no relationship with him. Uh, and so we're, we're really as, as good as dead when it comes to our, our spiritual life. But because of Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on the cross for us, we have the option to be born again. And so that's our, our first little uh, stage of spiritual growth that we talked about. That we become a spiritual infant uh, when we accept Christ as our Savior. And of course, in that stage, everything is, is uh, totally brand new. Uh, we're very much dependent on others to, to help us grow and mature, uh, just like an infant would be. Uh, and thankfully, we have a, a church family that God has given us. We, we get adopted into his family, uh, and people can help us uh, start learning about the Bible, learning about who Jesus is, and, and all those sort of great things. And then as we do that, as we start growing up a little bit, we begin to, to kind of enter that toddler or, or child stage. And we start to, to learn how to feed ourselves. And we start reading the Bible for ourselves and, and spending time in prayer with God and being part of a church family and, and all those sort of good things. Uh, of course, at that point, the world still pretty much revolves around us, just like, like to toddlers, their, their world revolves around them entirely. And we're kind of in that same situation where, where Christianity is all about what Jesus is going to do for me. And there's certainly a lot of benefits of what Jesus does for me, but we, we kind of get a little bit self-sighted in that way. But then, as we kind of grow up into that, that young adult type stage, or teenager, as we kind of equated it, uh, we begin to realize that life doesn't revolve solely around us. And it's in this stage of life that we really start serving the kingdom of God. Maybe we get involved uh, volunteering in our church, or, or whatever that might look like in our own uh, different lives. But we start you know, doing things for others, doing things for God. And, and in some ways, that can almost be a little bit of a, a distraction, as we've talked about a little bit later, that we, we get so focused on doing things for God that you know, it kind of becomes our, our, our identity, where we have to do stuff for God or we're not good enough or accepted or, or anything like that. But that's kind of what we need to learn as we get into this final stage of maturity. Uh, and that is that we, we begin to just abide in Christ. It's more about who we are than what we do. It's like even more about who he is than what he's going to do for us. And we learn to appreciate God for just being who he is. Uh, as John 15 uh, tells us, Jesus says that, that he's the vine and we're the branches. You know, when we get into that fully mature believer, we begin you know, living that. We we're just abiding in Christ on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. And as we do that, his power and life flows through us and we start producing fruit, just like a natural tr tree would. Uh, fruit of the Spirit, fruit uh, of more people coming to know and love Jesus. Uh, and it's just a, a productive time of our lives as far as the, the kingdom goes. But it really comes out of that total inner transformation where God changes us from the people that we were to the people that he created us to be. And so that was kind of part one of the, the series that we went through. And then for these last several weeks, we've been kind of working on part two, which is really digging into that last stage of the, our Christian development. What does that look like to be a fully mature, fruit-producing believer? How, how, do we, how do we even know if we're kind of in that stage ourselves? And so we looked... 
Well, we look basically at seven marks, seven kind of milestones that kind of give us some evidence that, that yeah, God is at work in our heart. He's transforming us into this new person. And the, the whole verse that we've been kind of basing this entire series around kind of says that same thing. It's in Romans 12, 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. All right, so it's a total work of God. It's not the, the, this is not a list of, here's the things that we do. This is what God does in us. And this is the evidence that God has been transforming us into totally new people. And so just to recap those seven marks, and I know this is a long recap, but it's the last message, so you can humor me on this one. The first mark was that we need to be before we do. Uh, we've learned to prioritize being with Jesus rather than just doing stuff for him. We've learned that Jesus is much more concerned about who we are becoming than what we accomplish for him. Right? He wants to transform us into, into right people, not just people who do right things. Uh, and so that all, that all flows from the inner self, right? The, all, everything we do flows out of who we are. And, and so we want to make sure that God is transforming us from the inside out. So that, that's the idea of be before you do. Uh, second mark was that we follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Uh, following the Americanized Jesus is this idea that, that we follow Christ because he's going to make life you know, better for us, more, more comfortable, more whatever it is, where we feel good about ourselves or, or however that might play out in our lives. But following the crucified Jesus means that, that we're all about bringing glory and honor to God, no matter what the cost, no matter what that does in our lives. It might mean that we look foolish or, or weak or, or, or wrong even in the, the eyes of the world. But we know that when we're following Jesus, you know, it's his opinion that really matters. And so we want to follow the crucified, not the Americanized Jesus. Uh, the third mark was that we embrace the gift of our God-given limits. And this is sometimes a hard thing to, to wrap our minds around. But we, we've come to realize that while God is unlimited, we are not. We are absolutely dependent on him. And, and we have God-given limits, limits of our, our physical abilities. We have limits of our, our mental capabilities, our emotional capabilities. Uh, we have limited knowledge and understanding. We have so many limits that God has given to us. And that's okay, because we can trust God to do all the things that we cannot do. And our limits actually, they actually free us from a lot of burdens in life, knowing that we don't have to do everything, that God can take care of some of that stuff. And so it really is a, a gift that we can learn to embrace. Uh, the fourth mark is that we discover the treasures buried in grief and loss. And again, this is kind of a weird thing to wrap our heads around. Uh, but as a mature follower of Christ, we, we, we don't deny the reality uh, of the grief and the loss that we go through in this sin-tainted world. But rather, we've learned to grieve in a healthy way. And part of that is just learning to accept the things that we cannot change and then trusting God to, to bring good out of whatever sin-tainted things that happen in our, in our lives. And as we do that, uh, we find that that brings healing to our wounds. Uh, we come to know and experience God in, in, in deeper, different ways that we never could have otherwise. Uh, and we can, in turn, give comfort to others who are going through some of those same difficult things. And so there are some, some treasures, but they're buried uh, under all this, this grief and loss. But we can discover those. 
Uh, the fifth mark is that we make, uh, we make love the measure of our maturity. It's not, not how many Bible studies we go to or how long we've been a church member, but we realize that the depth of our love for one another is a pretty accurate mark of the depth of our spiritual maturity. Now, Jesus said that the world will know that we're his disciples by how we love one another. And that's just, that's just true. Right? The more we, we can treat people as the, the precious gift of God that they are, as the, the, those who are created in the very image of God, and that just blows your mind to think about, but when we treat people like that, that just shows that yeah, God is, God's at work transforming us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that was number five. Number six was to break the power of the past. Uh, not only did we inherit a, just a, a sinful nature from our ancestor Adam, uh, but we've also inherited some, some sinful and then otherwise unhealthy ways of living from the families that we grew up in. Right? No matter how good or, or godly our parents or grandparents may have been, they still weren't perfect. Right? They had that same sinful nature, and because of that, they've passed down some of those, those sinful patterns, sinful ways of living to us. And we looked at Abraham's family as an example. I mean, Abraham and his family, they're the, the, the patriarchs of the Bible. But yet Adam, or not Adam, Abraham, uh, he passed down that, that deceptive nature of his down to his son Isaac. Isaac passed it down to grandson Jacob, who then passed it down to great-grandson, all of Joseph's brothers, the, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we just see that, that sinful pattern passing down throughout the generations. But we also saw that Joseph broke that pattern. He didn't follow the ways of all of his ancestors. Uh, he just put his trust in God, and he was able to break the power of the past just like we can. Uh, and so we talked about how through Christ, we can establish new patterns uh, and ways of doing things in our family. We can set uh, a legacy, a, a totally different pattern for our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren to follow because we've been adopted into a new family. We've got a new Heavenly Father, and we can pattern our lives after Him. And so that was the, the, the six marks. Today we're going to look at the final uh, and seventh, seventh and final mark uh, that we're going to go through in this series. And that is to lead out of weakness and vulnerability. Now, when you hear those words, you, you might immediately have a little bit of a, a resistance to that kind of a statement. You know, it, it, it just doesn't sound right. Lead out of weakness and vulnerability. It kind of sounds like some of these other things that we've talked about. They just, they don't seem to make sense at face value. So let me clarify just a couple things as we go into this. First of all, uh, the, the word lead here, uh, it doesn't only apply to those who are you know, leaders in the church, leaders of a, a business or some organization or, or anything like that. The fact is that everybody leads somebody right? Uh, husbands and fathers lead their families. Uh, mothers lead their children. Even older children lead the younger children or the cousins or, or whoever else is in their little merry band of, of kiddos. But all of us have some kind of leadership role, uh, if not in our families, at our workplace, in our communities, or at the very, very least, we all have the responsibility to lead as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul says, uh, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, and so all of us have this role of, of leading by example those who are going to follow behind us in the ways of Jesus Christ. So, so all of us in some way, shape, or form are leaders. And so we need to learn how to lead out of weakness and vulnerability. But that leads us now to the second clarification. What exactly does it mean to lead out of weakness and vulnerability? Because most of us don't really imagine leaders to be weak or vulnerable, right? We imagine a leader being, being strong and powerful, right? That's, 
That's almost the definition of a leader in the world standards. It's almost an oxymoron to say a weak, vulnerable leader, all right? That's like saying, you know, a tiny little giant, right? Or, or, uh, or a, uh, what else did I have here? I lost my spot. Tiny little giant or, I'm sure it's here on the page, right here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh, yeah, there it is. Uh, tiny little giant or a brave, courageous coward, right? These, these are oxymorons, things that, that don't even make sense to, to say them. So let's, let's clarify what we're talking about when we talk about weakness and vulnerability. And I found a, a really good quote by a guy uh, named Stephen Lee. I don't know if you know him. Uh, probably not. He's a, a church planter under uh, John Piper. And so that's kind of how I, I ran across him. But he, the way he phrased this, I thought was really good. So he says, to be vulnerable is to be susceptible to being wounded or hurt. In the context of community, vulnerability is opening up about one's humanity. It's to admit that we are not perfect people. We have not arrived. We are broken, unfinished people who live in a world that itself is broken because of the fall. We experience depression, burnout, cancer, sadness, death, grief, disability, disease, relational strife, loneliness, lust, anxiety, and the list goes on. The idea here is that vulnerability is simply allowing people to see the reality of our lives, right? The, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, because to, to lead out of, of vulnerability and uh, weakness means that we don't try to, to hide or, or gloss over the fact that we are imperfect, that we're wounded, and, and in many ways that we're weak people. It's acknowledging that we too have been impacted by sin. And I think uh, King David is just a, a great example of, of that kind of leader. Now, of course, when we think of King David, we, we imagine that, that strong, powerful leader, right? We, we think of this guy who's, who's confident and bold and, and, you know, he's a warrior, just kind of the, the image of a leader. But he too was deeply impacted by sin, not only by the, the sin of others, you know, you think of, of Saul trying to, to kill him for all those years, or, or his son Absalom, who tried to overthrow his kingdom and, and wipe out him and his family, uh, or we think of his commander Joab, who, who repeatedly disobeyed his commands and caused all kinds of headaches for him. Uh, but not only was he impacted by the sin of others, but he was deeply impacted by his own sin. Uh, most notably, as we remember his story, the, the, how he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband, which was one of his mighty men, uh, to cover it all up. But yet David never goes to, to hide or to gloss over the, the fact of his, of his weakness or his woundedness. Which is, is pretty odd, because back in those times, you know, kings did everything they could to kind of hide their, their imperfections, right? They, they conveniently forgot about the, the battles that they lost, and, and they did everything they could to make themselves look good in the history books. But never do we see David doing that. Uh, in fact, David allowed others to, to fully see the, the reality of his life, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. In fact, he even wrote a song about his greatest failings, and he had it placed in the songbook of the Israelites to be sung year after year after year for centuries. In fact, we have it in our Bibles today. Uh, Psalm 51. Uh, and I'll, I'll just read a few, few of the, the verses out of that just to give you an idea of, of how David just he just laid out the reality of his life. So Psalm 51, I'll start at verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. 
against you, and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. You know, most, most leaders are pretty eager to, to sweep their, their mistakes, their sin, under the carpet and, and hope that everyone will soon forget about it. But, you know, David did no such thing. He just was able to admit to the entire nation that he was imperfect, that he was wounded, that he was weak. He didn't deny the impact of sin in his life. He was able to lead out of weakness and vulnerability. And you might wonder, well, well why? Why would David do that? What's, what's the benefit of all this? Why, why should we follow his example and lead in whatever realms we lead? Why would we lead out of weakness and vulnerability for ourselves? Well, there's probably a few different things that we could say about that, but for our purposes today, I just wanted to look at how Paul explains it. And this is his experience in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, and I'll start reading at verse 7, about halfway through the verse. He says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now there's, there's at least two good reasons that we see in here uh, of why we should lead out of uh, vulnerability and weakness. And the first one is that it, it keeps us from becoming proud. And I think that could probably be a, a whole sermon right there in itself. But the second reason, and I think this is probably the, the greater reason, is so that the power of Christ can be made evident in us. As Paul says here, God's power works best in weakness. You know, when we choose to lead out of, out of weakness and vulnerability, allowing people to see where we fall short, that's when the power of God is made most evident. There's a, a, a Japanese form of art called kintsugi, and I don't know if I'm saying that anywhere close to right, but that's, that's my guess of how it's pronounced. But it, it literally means to join with gold. And basically the idea is that they take a, a piece of pottery that's just all busted up in, in different pieces, and, and they rejoin it using this, uh, I don't know what the adhesive is, but it's got gold in it uh, to, to put it all together. And quite often, you know, when we repair things that we've smashed, we try to, you know, hide the seams to make it look like nothing ever happened. But th that's the opposite here. This one, they make every crack, every broken piece stand out. They make it very evident. I think, yeah, they've got some pictures there. And the, the uh, repaired work is more beautiful than the original. And that's the, the idea that, of what God is doing in our lives. When we lead out of weakness and vulnerability, you know, people can certainly see where we're broken. But more importantly, they can see where God is at work. Right? They can see his grace. And they can see his mercy. They can see his loving kindness and his compassion in our lives, right? And it's our, it's our brokenness that makes his goodness all the more evident. Uh, earlier in 2 Corinthians, if you flip back a little bit, before Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, he describes believers as being fragile clay jars or, or fragile clay pots, I think some translations put it. Um, and I'll just read this. We're, we're these incredibly fragile clay jars, but we hold this incredible treasure. Uh, starting at verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. 
This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. All right, that's, that's kintsugi right there, right? We ourselves are those, those fragile clay jars, so easily broken. And I think all of us could probably testify that, that we really take a, a beating in life, right? As those fragile clay jars. As, as verse 8 says, you know, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Now, we may, be, we may be cracked pots, but it's God who holds us together. We've got this incredible treasure in us, Jesus Christ, and he just keeps us together no matter what things we go through in life. And it seems that the more cracks we have, the more the light of Jesus can shine through. Like verse uh, uh, 11 says here, he says, Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. You know, leading out of, of weakness and vulnerability isn't meant to, you know, just draw attention to our weakness, but rather the purpose is to draw attention to Jesus Christ. Now, I read that quote from Stephen Lee here earlier to help us define vulnerability, vulnerability and I actually only read half of the quote. Uh, it's actually the other half that I really like, so let me read the whole thing for you. It says, to be vulnerable, to be, to be vulnerable is to be susceptible to being wounded or hurt. In the context of community, vulnerability is opening up about one's humanity. It is to admit that we are not perfect people. We, are not, we have not arrived. We are broken, unfinished people who live in a world that, is, that itself is broken because of the fall. We experience depression, burnout, cancer, sadness, grief, or death, grief, disability, disease, relational strife, loneliness, lust, anxiety, and the list goes on. But then he says... But our story doesn't end with brokenness. Redemptive vulnerability, a vulnerability that leads to life, is where we share our brokenness in order to display the surpassing power and sufficiency of Christ in the gospel, which transforms us increasingly into the likeness of Christ. Vulnerability is not an end in itself. Rather, our vulnerability should point us individually and together with other believers to the sufficiency of Jesus. It looks at and hopes in the redemption we have in Christ Jesus and the work of the cross. And that's what it's really all about. That's, that's our goal and our purpose as believers. We want to point other people to Jesus Christ. And we can do that in a significant way simply by allowing others to see our brokenness and our weakness. Because through that, they can see the power of Christ in us. All right? They can see his grace. And they can see his mercy. They can see his forgiveness. They can see his strength. They can see his power, his loving kindness, his compassion in our lives. You know, our weakness and our vulnerability is the perfect showcase for God and all of his goodness. You know, we often sing the song here at church, uh, yet not I, but Christ in me. And, and that's really what it means to lead out of vulnerability and weakness. Uh, the second verse of that song, I'll just read that for you. It says, the night is dark, but I am not forsaken, for by my side, the Savior 
he will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in my need his power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And so can I just encourage you this week, uh, as you lead in your family, or as you lead here at church, uh, in your organization, at your workplace, or wherever it is that you find yourself, I'd encourage you to lead out of weakness and vulnerability. Allow people to see that while you may experience tremendous brokenness because of this sin-tainted world that we all live in, your brokenness is not the end of the story. We have a Savior and a Redeemer who's an expert at kintsugi, right? He, he can put us all back together again and make us whole. And in doing so, uh, display his goodness and glory all over again. So I encourage you to allow the, the light of Jesus Christ to shine through all the, the wounds and the cracks in that, that fragile clay jar that is your life so that others can see that it's yet not I, but Christ in me. Oh, dear God, we thank you so much for your just incredible love for us and your incredible ability to make all things work together for good. I know that sometimes a kind of that cliche kind of thing that we use to encourage anybody going through hard stuff, but you know the reality is it it is true. Uh, you are an amazing, good God, and even though uh, you do allow us to go through some some very difficult, painful things in life, and and we recognize that we are certainly impacted by by our sin, by the sin of others, or just by sin in the world. But yet, God, you are a good God who loves us more than we can even imagine. So I just pray that this week, as we go through whatever we're going through this week, that we would just continually look to you, uh, trusting that, that you can uh, do all things and that you will uh, make something good out of the, the cracks that appear in all of the different parts of our lives. Uh, yeah, God, I just pray that you would encourage us with all these things this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>